Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. thank all the moms in our church as well. Um, happy Mother's Day to you. Yes, we are thankful for our moms. And hopefully you have been spoiled and feel special uh, with your family today. I can't think of something better to do on Mother's Day than talk about God as our Father. Right? Mother's Day, but we're going to talk about God being our Father. Because even our mothers need to think about God as their Father, right? So take with me your Bibles and let's open up to Galatians chapter 4. I'm not sure you can believe it, but believe it, we've made it to chapter 4 of Galatians. Which means we're halfway through the book. And uh, we're about to start the second half of the book. And I'm just so in love with our passage today. Because it really helps us think more about God and the intimate relationship we have with God as our Father. I want to read for us from chapter 3, verse 23, up until chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going to focus on the first seven verses of chapter 4 for today. But let's read God's Word together. Galatians 3.23 Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abram's offspring heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when... The fullness of time had come. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One of the things we know that happens when a new baby comes into the world is that they bond with their mother and father in a significant way in those first few days and weeks. This is a real closeness and a special time of bonding that happens when that baby is nursed and cared for by his parents. And of course, one of the things a baby does a lot in the beginning is do what? They cry. Babies cry a lot. They cry when they need food, when they experience some level of discomfort, or if they simply want to be held and be close to the comfort of their parents. And that time of bonding goes deep. I mean, because you could be in a room with ten different babies, and they all be crying at the same time, but mom and dad will instinctively know which cry belongs to them. Have you guys ever seen that? I'm sure you have. It's actually pretty amazing. Because even as a child grows older, you could be at some event with a bunch of other kids running all over the place, and you would hear the child crying in the background, and you would see the parents jump up and say, Oh, that's mine. I better get to them because that's mine. Without even seeing who is the child that's crying. They know that sound because they know that sound belongs to them. Now the same is true of the child of God. Every one of God's children has a distinctive cry that makes it clear to them and to everyone around them that they belong to God. It's the kind of cry that shows that we are His children. That we are so closely known and loved by Him that out of all the different noises in this world, He knows our cry. He knows your cry. As we've been walking our way through Galatians, we have seen how Paul is defending the truth of the gospel. Because Paul has realized that the Christians in Galatia are doubting who they are before God. They are doubting whether they are in fact children of God. They are being confused into thinking that to really belong to God's family, you must revert to doing all these religious Jewish things and become someone different from what they already are in Christ by faith. So that they too can share in God's inheritance. And for the first three chapters, Paul has been focusing on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. That believers in the Lord Jesus are declared innocent and forgiven and righteous, all because of supernaturally trusting in what Jesus has done for them. And not what they can do for themselves or for anyone else. But one of the key marks of understanding what it means to be a Christian is not only knowing how a sinner like you and me can be justified before God, 
But to understand how a sinner like you and me can be loved by God and cared for by God and share in the riches of God. Because of being made part of His family. Back in Galatians 3.26, Paul wanted to show the Galatians how close they are to the Father because of their faith in Jesus. And it's here in that section that he wanted them to get their identity crisis right. The Gentiles and Jews, that the Gentiles and Jews are both equally sons of God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But here at the start of Galatians 4, Paul is expanding on this reality of being a child of God. He's building on the truth that all Christians are united to Christ and united to each other by emphasizing how it's possible that we can know for sure that God is our Father. Now church, if there's one truth we all need to dwell on with deeper, deeper appreciation, it is the truth that God is our Father because He has adopted us into His family. You see, Paul mentions that here in verse 5. That Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? That we might receive adoption as sons. In fact, I like how J.I. Packer says it. In his book, Knowing God, he explains the answer to the question, what is a Christian? And he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayer and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well. And let's face it, many people struggle with relating to God as their father on this deep real, intimate level because of their own experience, perhaps with their parents, because of the continual struggle against sin, because of wanting to be a better Christian and then feeling the weight of God, the Father's holiness, but not the embrace of His fatherly love. In fact, Packer goes on to say later that the doctrine of justification is the primary blessing of the gospel but not the highest blessing of the gospel. And you're like, how can there be anything better than being justified and declared forgiven of all your sin? And what Packer is basically saying is that it's one thing to know and believe that all your sins are forgiven. It's another thing altogether to intimately know and believe the one who forgives that sin. To cry out to the one who knows your distinctive cry. To know the one who chose you to be his child. Even though you are so messed up by sin. To know the one who says, that is my child. A couple of weeks ago we talked about the barriers that that might hinder the unity of God's people in the church. Barriers like culture, race, social class and gender. And one of the ways we fight against putting up the barriers that Jesus came to destroy is by focusing on what unites us. How we are one person in Jesus. And here in Galatians 4, Paul is further explaining that all Christians become God's children because of being adopted by God. 
Paul is highlighting the realities of what it means to be brought into God's family, not because we chose God, but because He chose us. In other words, here we have another truth that unites all believers in this room. Because Paul is saying every Christian is adopted. Every Christian is someone that is chosen, and get this, is wanted by God the Father. And so the question I have for you today is, do you believe that God wants to be your Father? Because the way you answer that question reveals what you understand about the Gospel. You see, there's a difference between knowing that God is my Father and really believing that God wants to be my Father. And in Galatians 4, 1-7, God is saying to you today, I want to be your Father. I want to be your Father. No matter what you look like, no matter what language you speak, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter what you've done in your life, I want you to be mine. And to understand biblically how and why that is true, we need to understand biblical adoption. That's our word for today, kids. You want to listen for the word adoption. We need to understand the riches of what it means to be adopted by God. And so we're going to see from these first seven verses of chapter 4 that God wants to be our Father by understanding, firstly, our status before our adoption. Secondly, the process of our adoption. And thirdly, the the privileges of our adoption. So look with me again at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And now Paul explains what our status was before our adoption. He says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. See, in these verses, Paul is essentially describing what it's like not to be in God's family. To be a a spiritual orphan who is enslaved under the law, living in the the orphanage of this broken world. All throughout his argument, he has been making a contrast between living under the law and living by faith. Living under the law or living by faith. And now he's making the comparison between being a slave and being a son of God. Slave and a son. But he takes an interesting angle on this because he's appealing to some of the cultural dynamics again that both Jew and Gentile would have understood. You see, depending on what culture Paul actually has in mind here, all throughout history, the firstborn son of the family, he would know and expect to inherit his father's possessions. But the thing is, he would only have access to those possessions at a certain age. And so what a father or maybe a wealthy person would do is to hand over the oversight of his estate and all his belongings to that of a manager or a guardian until his son was old enough to receive the inheritance. 
which meant even though legally the son was the owner of his dad's stuff, he could not get access to it until a certain time. Which meant practically the heir to the family fortune had the same kind of freedom and liberty as that as a common slave. Same level. And this might have been very frustrating for the minor child because he had to listen to this manager or guardian until the date set by his father for him to get what belonged to him. See, once the child got to that date set by the father, it would change his status completely. He would then be considered an adult ready to receive the responsibilities of the family. But under this cultural system, the son would feel more like a slave in the family than he would feel like a son in the family. He had no rights. He was told when to wake up. He was told when to brush his teeth, when to go to school, what he should wear. And this kind of bondage was a good thing for him because it helped him to bring him to that maturity he needed before he was given the inheritance. And Paul has been saying that the law plays a similar role in the story of salvation. Because in verse 3 he makes the the comparison here that's saying that in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, when we were like minors who, who have not come of age yet, we were also enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Because those who live their lives under the law are like children who are held in bondage. That's all of us before we are adopted by God. You see, it's only through saving faith and trust in Jesus that someone comes of age. In other words, without faith in Jesus, you're still a slave that is imprisoned under these elementary principles of the world. Now, in fact, many commentators have different perspectives of what it means here, talking about the elementary principles of the world. Some think it means demonic spirits who, who rule the current world system. And they allude back to the start of Galatians, where Paul talked about being set free from the, the present evil age. Others suggest it might refer to the actual elements, like earth, wind, water, and fire, and the, and the pagan worship attached to that. But it could be that Paul is simply referring to the law. The law and the elemental things of human religion. He uses the same phrase in Colossians 2.8 saying, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Here Paul is clearly saying that the elemental spirits of the world are linked to human philosophy and human traditions. Which, as we have seen, is basically the whole context of Galatians, isn't it? These religious Jewish traditions being forced down the throat of the Gentile Christians, giving the result to the elemental or basic way of relating to God, but you relate to Him as a slave. A slave to your own traditions and efforts. And not as a son who has come of age ready to receive the inheritance. Because what the gospel is not saying is that God is simply making you a better slave. 
The gospel is saying that you were so enslaved to your sin that even though that is true, God still chooses to make you His child. God sets you free from that slavery and treats you as a son. And it was an intensive, extensive, and costly process. And so people who do not understand the gospel try and relate to God, but they feel like slaves. They don't feel like a son. They feel they have to keep doing more and more and more in order for the Father to be happy with them. But then we have to consider the process of this adoption. The process of the adoption. This is verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. You see, the word adoption actually means to place someone as an adult son. To place someone as an adult son. To bring someone into your family as if they were your very own blood. See, it was very common that people would adopt an adult person if they did not have an heir. We understand that, right? We've, we talked about this. Where the slave or, or servant would become a son. And we think of Abraham who wanted to adopt Eliezer, the servant, because he did not have an heir, right? And so when we think adoption, we think of all those babies, those cute babies we have at the baby home, where there's such a great need for them to find forever families. But if we actually stop and think about the adoption process today that happens with these babies, we can actually see there are still significant similarities that help us understand the process God went through to adopt us. One important part of the adoption process is that of timing. Timing. Anyone who wants to adopt a child today must know that you might, might have to wait a very long time before you can actually finalize the process to have that child be in your home. Some babies we have coming into the baby home there in Capitol Park, they've been there for several years before they are matched with a new family. The new parents must wait. The child must wait. This temporary place of safety and all the staff must wait. Because it all has to do with timing. And so often in our minds, we don't get why it takes so long. I mean, why, if you have a willing parent and you have a needy child, why can it take so long to get them together? Why is there so much red tape and issues one must think through? But then you look at God. And you see that God was patiently waiting as well. And His timing is always perfect. Paul says, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when the timing was exactly perfect. It all came together the way God wanted it to. I mean, think about it. If you look at the big picture of what Paul has been saying through the historical argument of salvation history... Then we can see that it was the perfect time theologically, religiously, culturally, and even politically. That God sent Jesus to initiate our adoption process. 
I mean, it was the right time theologically because everything that has happened so far in the Old Testament and through the law and the life under the law has been preparing people for Jesus, showing them their need for Jesus. It was also the right time religiously because the amount of paganism and idolatry in Rome had reached an all-time low. People were tired of all this false worship. It was the right time culturally because the Greek language had become so common that it would allow the gospel to spread more easily. It was the right time politically because the infrastructure that the Roman government had built, they put in place, would literally make the way, actual roads for the gospel to go forward to the rest of the nations. And so just as the father assigned a specific time for his son to get the inheritance, like he talks about in the the first few verses, so God the Father determined a specific time when God the Son would come to give all God's children their inheritance and adopt them into his family. Another key part of adoption and the process of adoption is, is, especially when it comes to international adoptions, is the cost and the screening process. I mean, these new parents must qualify to be able to adopt. This long screening process is done to see if the child will be, they would be a good match with the child. And these potentially new parents must then also get on a plane and travel to the other side of the world to meet the child. I mean, recently we had a couple going through this long screening process and eventually they traveled, I think it was from Sweden or somewhere, to adopt one of the babies from our baby home. But now think about what this was like for God. Because Paul says, when all the timing was right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Because to be adopted into God's family, you need the right qualifications as well. And Jesus had all the right qualifications. What were those qualifications? Well, He is fully divine, isn't He? Because He was already with the Father before He was sent. It shows that Jesus existed before He was born in Bethlehem. Colossians 1.15 says He is the image of the invisible God. And He was also sent to be born of a woman. Which means He became like one of us so that, that God can adopt us. Which means He had the qualifications of divinity but also of humanity. But that's not all. He was also born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born as a Jewish man. He grew up in a Jewish home. And he perfectly fulfilled all the demands of the law. Which means he was perfectly righteous in everything he did. Which gave him the right qualifications to go to the cross. So that he can die for those who are under the law. To start living like slaves. Stop living like slaves and start living like sons. But not only did Jesus qualify, we also see that the process of adoption was in fact costly for God. Costly. Imagine my wife and I wanted to adopt kids from the Middle East. 
And imagine we sent Ben, our son, to go on our behalf to finalize the process for us. And imagine Ben was executed while he was in the Middle East because the only way for them to allow us to adopt these kids was the requirement that we had to sacrifice our son. Because the gravity of your sin and because of the holiness of God, the Father sacrificed His Son so that we can be His family. Can you see that God has gone to the most extreme lengths possible to tell you, I want to be your father? The process of adoption is way more extensive and expensive for God than we can ever imagine. He waited. He came. He qualified. He sacrificed. So that you and I can stop living like those slaves and start living like a son. We often work with a child protection organization here in Pretoria and they help match new parents with the children in the baby home. And they have a lot of rules for the adoption process. And sometimes, depending on the situation, they classify the process as a high-risk adoption. High-risk adoption. And many times people don't want to go through with the adoption process because they're afraid of the consequences it might have on their family. Given the child's history and the the high-risk factor, they have all these questions of uncertainty. Will he turn out to be violent and abusive? Will the child turn out to be sexually perverted? Will he turn out to be a drunkard? Now given our history according to the Bible, Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, knowing exactly what you are like, God says, I still want to be your father. Jesus not only took on human flesh, He became the curse of the law for us so that we can understand that we are no longer simply better slaves. We are sons and daughters of God. Like how one man says it, he says, When Jesus died and rose again, He not only paid for, for our freedom, but also provided us with our adoption papers, making us sons and daughters of the most High God. But not only does adoption help us see what we were like, we see the process of what God went through to rescue us, to make us His own, knowing exactly what we were like, knowing the the risk factor. But we also see that being adopted by God comes with new rights and privileges. Number three, the privileges of our adoption. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Many children and many adoptive children struggle to really believe their father and mother loves them. And like any good parent, God wants His children to rest firmly in His fatherly love. And he wants his newly adopted children to never doubt the kind of love that he has for them. 
And so to understand the extent of the love He has for us, we need to recognize the privileges of what we have of being a, God, a child of God. And one of the privileges we have is that God has sent His Spirit into our hearts. And consider what this shows us regarding the Trinity. First, God the Father is at work by sending the Son. Then the Son comes to redeem us from the curse of the law by dying in our place and rising from the dead so that we can be adopted. But then God also gives us His Spirit to help us understand that we are now His beloved children. That the adoption process is final. Which means we have the privilege of having every member of the Trinity involved in our adoption process. But also what it means is that when it comes to biblical adoption, God not only changes our paperwork like we might do today, He actually changes our very nature. He changes our very nature. When God adopts you into His family, He sends His Spirit into your heart and changes you from the inside out. He goes to the deepest place there is inside of you and He takes up permanent residence there. Then over time, as He works in your life and as you abide in Him, like we saw last week, following Him and trusting Him, He transforms you more and more into the very image of His divine Son. And because you have the Spirit of God in you, you have a new sound. You have a new sound. You have a new relationship with the Father. And you have a new cry. Because from the moment you are born again, you begin to cry with a distinctive new cry. And what does that cry sound like, Paul? Paul says, Abba, Father. The term Abba is a term of respect and a term of endearment. It can be translated as Daddy. This is what the new child of God sounds like when he or she is faced with the, with the challenges of life. Because this is a cry of intimacy and dependence. And we know that in fact, Jesus had the very same words on His lips when He was contemplating the agony that awaited Him on the cross. Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is what Jesus cried out in His time of greatest need. And because we have God's Spirit in our hearts, we cry the same cry as Jesus. Christians cry the same cry as Jesus. We sound the same as Jesus did when He was getting ready to suffer for us. It's a cry that says, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I can't do this without you. But Daddy, please do what is best. I will trust you. I mean, Paul said it like this to the Romans in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are 
children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In other words, the cry of an adopted child of God is the cry of the Son Himself. Jesus uttering this cry to God in you and for you through His Spirit. It's the cry that God the Father hears and says, That's my child. That's my child. Which means God's children have a different way of responding to life's challenges than the rest of the world, right? It's not that we have less problems. It's not that we don't get sad or disappointed. It's that we make a different sound to those who do not really know God as their Father. And so perhaps as you look at your life and how you deal with the suffering that you might even be going through right now, what does your cry sound like? Is it a cry of intimacy, dependence, and trust? Or is it a cry of complaining and grumbling, sounding the same as the rest of the world around you? Commentator F.F. Bruce says, Abba, Daddy, is the voice of the Spirit of Jesus on the lips of His people. Which means there's even more privileges of being adopted by God. Because you have the Spirit of the Son, you have full rights to the inheritance as a son. Verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul is telling the Galatian believers that no matter what they have been told by these Jewish false teachers, they are no longer slaves. They are sons of God. And because they are sons of God, through adoption, they have the same privileges of receiving God's inheritance as sons. Not because they did anything to deserve it. Not because they circumcised. Not because they keep the Jewish calendar. Not because they made themselves more Jewish. You see, it can be possible that your obedience can maybe prove at some level that you're a servant but that, not, that you're not really a son. That you can do all these things externally, but you only relate to God as your master, but not as your dad. Because the Spirit of God that is within us confirms that you are one of His and enabling you to call Him Abba, Father. In other words, a servant maybe can call God Lord, but it's the true child of God that can genuinely call Him my Father, my Daddy. And because He is your Daddy, you love Him and you respect Him and you obey Him. In fact, John Stott says, God's purpose was not only to secure our sonship by His Son, but to assure us of it by His Spirit. He sent His Son that we might have the status of sonship, 
And He sent His Spirit that we might have an experience of it. Calling God your Father means something. When Jesus came into this world by faith in what He has done, true believers have reached the age where they can receive the Father's inheritance. And this also means that they get as much of that inheritance as any other believer. I mean, perhaps in some families today, the natural-born child might inherit more than the adopted child. But in God's family, we're all adopted, we're all equal, and we all get the same inheritance. Sometimes I like to tell my daughter, Cara, you're my favorite daughter. And she laughs and she giggles because she knows she's my only daughter. But it's just a fun way for me to tell her I love her. God is telling you through understanding biblical adoption that He loves you. That you are His child. And even though there are so many other believers, He loves you like He loves His only divine Son. That He's willing to pay the highest price possible so that you can no longer live like a slave trapped in your own works trying to impress Him through all your religious junk. But that you can know Him as a son or a daughter crying out to Him with the Spirit-enabling cry saying, no matter what you are going through right now, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I know that you know what's best for me. Daddy, thank you for your spirit that allows me to know that I belong to you. Daddy, thank you for my inheritance. Allowing me to share in the riches of Jesus. And so think about how this truth of adoption helps you as you live your life. How does this truth about God saying, I want to be your father, help you as you live your life? Well, one thing it does, it helps me when I'm discouraged by my struggle with sin. It's when we struggle with sin that we think we can lose God's approval knowing and knowing that I am a child of God and, not a, and a son and not a slave helps me to relate to God as my father and not as my boss. It helps me not to act like a slave who is so sinfully afraid of God, but as a son that knows he is willing to forgive me for what I have done. Second, it helps me feel close to him when I pray. So when we come to say, our Father in heaven, that we have this new intimate connection, when we cry, Abba, Father, we are confirming that we have legally inherited all the rights of Jesus Himself. We can approach God with the confidence that He will see us like He sees Jesus. It helps me, thirdly, it helps me know that if God was willing to pay so much to adopt me, and give me so such a great inheritance 
then surely He will provide for what I need right now. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Fourthly, it helps me know what I sound like when I'm suffering. That I know that the pruning scissors of love is making me more like Jesus every day. And my groaning is a groan of trust to His plan and His will for my life. Romans 8.38 For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that what you sound like as you cry to Him? Adoption is the beautiful picture of being loved, even though we are so messed up. It's a beautiful picture of being in a family. It's a beautiful picture of sharing in the the love and the blessings of that family. And none of us ever deserve that kind of love. I want to close with another quote from J.R. Packer. He writes, In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship. He establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, justification is great. It's a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, adoption is is greater. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Abba Father, we cry to you today knowing that you love us. You sent Jesus, your Son, to come and die in our place because you're transforming us from slaves to sons. People trying to earn your love to people who have your love unconditionally. Thank you that you give your children a distinctive cry. Thank you that it is a cry of dependence, a cry of intimacy, a cry of trusting that you know what is best. That no matter what we're going through right now, no matter what difficulties we might face, as your children, we can cry, we trust you, Father. We know you love us. We know this is good for us. Help us to embrace this truth that we really believe with all our hearts that you want to be our Father. That as we look at the cross and as we look at these symbols of communion even today, that we are reminded that you want to be our Father. So help us to respond with our faith Bigger and bigger, Lord, trusting that this truth will change the way we live tomorrow. Thank you for this love. Thank you for this costly love. Help us not to squander it. Help us to appreciate it. And help us to extend it to those who need it most. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.